My name is Kelly McCoy. I am the college and young adult pastor here at Rocky Peak. If this is your first time, we are all excited that you are here, aren't we? Yes, we are. And uh, we're in a series called Christian. And I have a feeling that this sermon tonight is, might leave you with more questions than answers. That's why on your little pamphlet, there's a phone number that you can text me your questions and I will do my best to try to respond to them next week. So if you don't have a pamphlet, just raise your hand and one of our team members will just go ahead and just give you one of our pamphlets. Chloe needs one. <laughs> Are we good? No. So we just need some pamphlets over here if you don't have any extra ones. So, but keep in mind, please text me. Like you, you're completely anonymous. You don't have to say your name. It's, you know, it's really, really simple. Just go ahead and text a question. If there's something that happens or something I say, something that you're confused about in the Bible, just go ahead and text me a little question. I will do my best to try to answer it because if you have a question, guaranteed there's like 20 other you, of you people that are not asking that same question that probably would love the answer to it. And, uh, and so every week, so this week I didn't get any questions from our SOMA team uh, from our summer family, so I'm not going to, you know, I usually start with, a, like, a really good question. So, but not this week, because you guys didn't ask. So, we're going to go straight into the message. I get to preach 10 minutes longer because of it. Thank you. So, anyway, so we're in a, a series called Christian, and think about it. The, the word Christian is actually a pretty ambiguous term. I met with a guy uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's, he's uh, from, he's, he's Muslim. He's actually from, like, Pakistan, and he... Um, he assumes like that most people in America are Christian because I mean we're essentially a Christian nation compared to other other nations you know there's Islamic nations there's you know Jewish nations and predominantly the world thinks America is Christian which is weird because the that's just that's just not true at all and if you were to ask people probably even in your math class or your archaeology class or your astronomy class, what are some of the words that come to mind when you hear the word Christian? If you were to ask people in the real world, I'm not talking about asking other professional Christians, uh, professional church people that have been going to church their whole lives. I'm asking you, uh, if you were to ask somebody off the street, what are some of the words that come to mind when you hear the word Christian? What are some of the things you might hear? Hypocrite, yes. What else? conservative what else judgmental what else huh sexist what else legalistic self-righteous homophobic you know all those things are the things that people think about when they hear the word christian but fortunately for us we're not trying to make passionate christians we're trying to unleash a movement of passionate christ followers and that's a big difference and in the Bible, the word Christian only shows up three times, and it's not a positive one either. And it was used to describe this small ragtag group of people who were, who, were, who were following Jesus. And the actual followers of Jesus, you know what they called themselves? Followers of Jesus. They called, them, they, they called themselves disciples. Disciples. They called themselves what? disciples. So, so often the word Christian determines what you believe, but the word disciple determines how you behave. If you don't have a pen, now's the time. (laughs) So the term Christian usually determines what you believe, but the term disciples determines how you behave. And I'm much more concerned about creating disciples than I am about creating Christians. In fact, hopefully you 
are less concerned about being a Christian and more concerned about being a disciple. Some of you guys are dating people who claim to be Christian, but they are not following Jesus. Now you know the difference. You want to follow Jesus. That's different than being a Christian. Just want to get that on the table. That's why we're doing this series. So how did the early believers in Jesus behave? Think about how crazy it was. You have, you know, Jesus come, died, resurrect, and then off to heaven, right? Resurrected, now he lives in my heart. But the predominant religion at that time was this Roman, like, authority. I mean, the, the, the Roman authority actually crucified Jesus, right? And anybody who decided to follow Jesus and they found out about it, they persecuted them. One of the ways they persecuted them is by, by wrapping Christians in candle wax and putting them on the top of a castle and setting them on fire. That's how angry the Roman government was at this small group of people not worshiping Caesar or Augustine or any of these Roman gods. They would kill them. They would persecute them. So how in the world did Christianity become one of the most influential religions in the world, especially in the face of Rome? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you right now. All right, John 13, 3. Before Jesus left, he commanded his disciples, and, and it's also in your pamphlet, the verse, uh, so you, you, if you can't find it in your Bible, it's in the book of John 13. Three, and I think we have the Bible verse to go up as well. It says this. This is Jesus telling his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. Pause. It's not really that new of a command. It's just he just wants to just repeat it. Uh, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my what? Disciples, if you love one another. So there was some sort of radical love that the, that the church displayed early. And it was the kind of love that didn't fight back in the face of persecution. It was the kind of love that forgave people that tried to hurt them. It was the kind of love that went out of their way to be generous, even when you didn't have a lot of money. These, this ragtag group of people that started in a house, they were so sacrificial in their love for one another, they made sure that everybody had plenty of food and plenty to eat. And the Roman government and the, the surrounding society saw the way that these people loved one another, and they were drawn to give up their gods somehow. They gave up worshiping Zeus. They gave up worshiping Dionysus. They gave up, you know, you know, the Hercules people. Yeah, they gave up worshiping all these myriad of gods. And for 300 years, the church gained influence by the way they loved one another. And that's amazing. Their primary tool of influence wasn't knocking on people's doors, wasn't throwing big events, it was just loving the people they were with. And it was not like, oh, yeah, that's a nice person. That was like, no, this person is literally suffering at, at the, you, just by being this generous. Like, this person is willing to lay his life down so that my family can eat. 
Like it was a radical generosity and it was radical love that drew people in and it caused Rome to give up their gods and mandate Christianity as the Roman Catholic Church. So far so good, you tracking with me? But as soon as Christianity became the religion of Rome, that's when things started to go south. So what happened was is that the church stopped leveraging love and started leveraging power. And the church started to decide who got in and who got out and how to do sacraments and how to pay alms. And you were afraid that you might lose your salvation. And, at, at, and it was at that particular moment the church started to go backwards instead of forward. In fact, get your pens out. Whenever the church leverages anything other than love, it moves backwards and not forwards. I'll say it again. Whenever the church leverages anything other than love, it moves backwards instead of forwards. And the good news turned into bad news. Because the good news is what Jesus asked is said, well, what good news, the good news is what Jesus said right before he left. In Matthew 28, 18, he said, therefore go, make, there's that word again, disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, that message, therefore go and make disciples, turned into, therefore go and impose my worldview and my values on people, threatening them with hell and damnation if they don't do what I tell you to do. And that's what happened. Instead of, therefore go and make disciples, baptizing people with this good news, it turned into a message that said, therefore go and impose my worldview, my values, and my rules on people, threatening them with hell and damnation if they don't do what I tell you to do. That's a message of a group of people that have power. That's not a message from a group of people that is leveraging love. And maybe you don't follow Jesus. Maybe this is your first time coming and you've been, or maybe you've been coming for a while and you're just not a part, you know, you don't want to be a Jesus follower and that's okay. Maybe you've been turned off to Christianity because of these Jesus followers imposing their rules, their regulations, and their, you know, whatever on you. And you're like, forget it. I don't want to deal with this. Why are these people expecting me to live a certain way when I don't even believe the things that they believe? And that's not your fault. That's ours. And I'm sorry. So tonight, I want us to ask the question, how should these Jesus followers today, how should Soma Jesus followers today treat people who simply don't want to follow Jesus? Well, I'm going to answer that. And you guys are right, too. (laughs) But yeah, basically, we're going to open a passage in the Bible that answers this question. How should Jesus followers treat people who choose not to? Let's pray as we get started. Father, open our eyes and ears and really attune our hearts to this major issue of how we can love the people around us in a radical way that draws them in instead of pushes them away. Teach us through your word. In Jesus' name, we all said loudly, Amen. Amen. Well, the first thing that I want us to look at is look at ourselves. (laughs) Look at ourselves. Look on the inside before judging the outside. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is, is, 
is, is writing a letter to a church. Paul is writing a letter to a church. And when I say the word church, when this letter has been sent to somebody or sent to a church, it's not like the church at Rocky Peak where there's like hundreds and or there's a few, you know, there's a couple thousand people here, but there's about a hundred and some, some odd people here. It's not this big either. When, when this letter was written to a church, you got to think like it's a, like a life group or something like that. It's like a, a group of people meeting in a home, maybe 30 to 50 uh, max people meeting in a home. And, um, and this letter shows up. And what was happening in this uh, church was so repulsively repugnant that the people in Corinth were like, eh, like, who does that? Like, that's some Jerry Springer stuff right there. Like, why in the world are these Jesus followers acting like this? And keep in mind, the people in Corinth, they worshiped like gods. Okay, when I say Dionysus, Dionysus is like a female, like goddess. This is like, it, it's just a whole lot of things go into it. But the way you worship Dionysus is that you get drunk and you have an orgy. And these are the people in Corinth, and this is common practice. Another thing that people in Corinth did, they went to the temples and they slept with prostitutes as an offering to certain gods, right? And they were looking at the church in Corinth and saying, ew. Like, that's how bad something was happening in that particular church. Something was happening so bad in this particular church that people would look at it and be like, who does that? And so somebody, you know, somebody told Paul, and this is one of Paul's churches, and Paul's like, heck no. I'm going to write them a letter because I can't write emails. <laughs> so we're going to get a glimpse. You guys want to know what it is, don't you? Yeah, some of you guys know, but I'm going to tell you. It says, First uh, Corinthians 5, 1 through <clears throat> 2, it says this. It is actually reported among you that there is sexual immorality. One of a kind that pagans don't even tolerate. Pagans is another word for like people outside of God's community. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. I know, it makes you cringe. And you are proud of it. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put this man out of your fellowship who is doing this? So, it's not like he's sleeping with his mom. Let me just get that out of the way. Like, that's just really weird. But this is next level weird. This is basically either this man, you know, is a son of a, a father, and this father was married to this woman, or either is currently married or divorced. And basically, they found each other either at a family reunion, and he's like, hey, I noticed you're not wearing your ring. And, you know, we got some chemistry, so how about this works out? And so they end up shacking up, sleeping together, and everybody in their church community knows about it. And instead of getting help for this guy or confronting him, they end up celebrating it. How many of you know that tolerance of sin leads to celebration of sin? Instead of confronting this guy, they end up tolerating it. And out of this toleration, they end up celebrating it. And the thing is, it's not like this person is a person who is in the church. This is not like an outsider. This is an insider. But the church community needs to remove the cancer that is causing it to look bad and also 
keep itself from moving forward. And, and I, I started thinking about, like, why, why in the world would this church community not confront this guy of this bondage that he's clearly in? He's clearly in a bondage where he doesn't want to get rid of this relationship. He, he thinks he's doing the right thing, and nobody has the gusto to say, hey, this is not good. This is actually wrong. This is outside of God's uh, design for your life. This is called incest. But they didn't want to say anything. And out of the idea of loving people, out of the idea of trying to love this, pe- this person and come across as a loving community, they let this guy live in this community in the protection of, of other believers without any consequences. How many of you know that sin always has consequences? And if you don't let somebody live with the consequences of, your, of their sin, you are participating. This church did not want to participate in their sin, in this man's sin, so they loved him enough to let him go. They loved him enough to let him go. Verse f- 3. Oh, wait, before I even go to verse 3. Um... Sometimes the most loving thing is to let someone live out their sin and come back. That's a lesson that we learn in Luke 15 from the prodigal son. And it's better to be a prodigal son who comes home than an obedient child who just leaves. See, sometimes some people need to leave the church, let them get beat up by their sin, and once once they get beat up by their sin, then they come back and hang out with the rest of us beat-up saints. And that's something that needed to happen. And the sooner the process starts, the sooner he comes back home. And that's the heart of Paul in writing this. Verse 3, we need to love people enough to let them go if they want to go. For my part, Paul is writing my part. This is what he's saying. For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, hence me writing a letter, As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment. Turn to the person next to you and say, judgment. Wait, 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 wait. And to that, I would be like, hey, Paul, like, isn't this against what I'm trying to, like, teach here? I'm trying to do a series on Christians, and they're already coming across judgmental. Why would you say this, Paul? Don't you know we shouldn't be judging? And to that, Paul would say, Don't you know that I'm writing the Bible? (laughs) See, the Bible never tells us not to judge. It tells us how to judge and who to judge. And Paul even goes as far as to say, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's doing this. So how do you like that, Kelly? Well, he didn't say that part, but I, you know. See, it's so often like we're, we're afraid to judge, and I, and I know we shouldn't judge those on the outside. We have no reason to judge those who are just not living in your family. So he says this, verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that, he, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of our Lord Jesus. So basically, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his spirit so that he can go get beat up by sin so that when he's beat up, he can come back and be in community with us. 
right? Because the sooner that he leaves and gets beat up, the sooner he can come back to the hospital and get healed. Make sense? And the, and, and the Greek word for hand this man over, it's, it's actually, it's actually a, uh, like a, a legal term. Like, G, like Paul is a smart guy. He uses lots of legal terms. But it's like hand, hand this man the rights. Like give Satan the rights over this guy because he wants to live like he's being led by Satan. Uh, so give him the Satan for a little bit. Let Satan beat him up, and he'll come back. But it's like, a, it's like having Satan as your parole officer. If you have, I'm not going to raise your hand if you've ever been in the legal system, but you don't want Satan as your parole officer, right? How would you like to meet your parole officer? Satan. Like, that's, <laughs> like that's, just not, that's just not in a place where I want to be, right? And then if that were the case, you would, just, you, you would come back home running for sure. And another reason why you would love someone enough to let them go, because it's, it's as if you uh, played on a baseball team. I'm not really a big sports guy, like go sports, whatever. Um, but let's say I like was, let's say I liked a team. Like let's call them the angels because we're in church. And, uh, and I'm wearing a hat, right? Um, and, and there's this guy who's a catcher. He's, right, he's a catcher, right? Is that the right word? Am I remember right? And he's supposed to catch the ball, but instead of behaving like a catcher, he's actually acting like a dodger. And he is dodging the balls. He's dodging the balls. Uh, basically, he's not very good. Too soon. All right. Go sports. Um, right, so you have a teammate who's underperforming severely. All right, all I'm saying, okay, you have a teammate who's under, underperforming. So what you do is you take him out of the game and let him get some training and you, you, you know, work him through like exercises or whatever. You guys know more than I do. And then once he's back up to speed, once he can finally catch a ball, you put him back in the game, right? This guy needs to get out of the game. And the most unloving thing that you can do is let somebody who sucks play. Because it hurts your team, and it disillusions your player. Kind of like watching American Idol. Like when, you, like when somebody who obviously can't sing, like their whole life, people are just patting their ego, telling them that they're like the next Beyonce, but they're more like not at all. Um, they're, like, what, they're devastated when they find out they can't sing. No, the sooner you, you, know, you tell them the truth in love, Remove them from this field of occupation, the sooner they can actually start pursuing something that they're good at, like acting or whatever. Yeah. So sometimes you got to love someone enough to let them go. you got to love someone. One of the things that I like to say that Jesus does is that he meets you. He loves you where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Jesus will love you where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. So my second point, so how do we choose, how do we treat people who choose not to follow Jesus? It's really simple. We just don't hold them to the same standard that we would hold ourselves to. Basically, it's like not spanking your kids or not spanking your neighbor's kids, right? You don't spank your neighbor's kids, right? Please say right. That's weird. Unless, don't spank your neighbor's kids, Thank you. I went to Thanksgiving this year, and how many of y'all went to Thanksgiving? 
at a, someone's house or something, and there was a bunch of kids around. All right, could you, could you clearly see amongst the grandkids which grandkids get spankings and which grandkids don't get spankings, right? Could you tell the difference in behavior? When I was, all right, so this is what happened. I, all right, I'm going to tell you guys, all right? So, so I go to, like, we, we, I do Thanksgiving with, like, other people's families because they're my family. And I get to choose them. Um, and, and there's, like, a bunch of kids, right? And I'm just surveying the audience. And I'm like, and I already know, like, like those super permissive parents. And I know, like, the, and I'm, like, looking at the kids. Like, the spo- there's, like, spoiled brat kids. And those aren't the ones that get spanked. And then there's just like this one kid, and he's so polite, so nice. Like he, like he's like, "Hi, Uncle Kelly," and he gives me a hug. And it's like he's, he doesn't reach past my knee, so he's like hugging my calf. He's like so cute, and um, and he's just, just like, he, like he just does it out of reflex. He's just so, so precious. But he gets spanked. Let me tell you. He gets spanked, but I, I've, you know, I've never really seen him get spanked because he's so good all the time, right? He doesn't get beat, all right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, like, I'm like, I'm like save the time out, spank the kid, and move on. Like, that's it, you know? But there's a clear difference. Now, how awkward would it be if the parents of that child start spanking all the other brats around? Just like, be like, hey, you, come here. Like, <laughs> like. I, that would be so weird, right? But that's exactly what, that's so, that's so funny though. But the funny thing is, <laughs> the funny thing would be if that happened. The funnier thing is, is that that's exactly how the world feels about Christians. When we hold people to our worldview and our values and our standards and we start telling people how they should behave when they didn't even sign up for this Jesus stuff. That's why we belong before you believe here at Soma. And you don't have to clean your life up before coming to Jesus because you believe before you behave. And every leader here that is wearing a name tag has a consistent life of behavior before they lead. You belong before you believe, you believe before you behave, and you behave before you lead. Let's look at verse 9. Paul is talking more about clarifying. He just wants to clarify with this church what he means. Um, he actually wrote, that we have, Paul wrote a letter previous to 1 Corinthians. It's like, you know, pre-1 Corinthians, but we lost it. Well, I didn't lose it. You know, Paul did, or the church, Corinthian, they probably lost it. Um, and, and, and Paul wants to clarify what he meant about the way you should act towards people outside of the church. And it says right here in verse 9, I wrote you in my previous letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. He's saying, yes, I said that, okay? Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? He's clarifying what he meant 
about not associating with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to literally live in space. Well, I I added that. But now I'm writing you so that you do not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. Again, they didn't use the word Christian. They used the word brother or sister. And this person was claiming to be a brother or sister. But now I am writing you so that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, slander, a drunkard, swindler. Do not even eat with these people. Again, The church is like a hospital. It would be weird if you came into a hospital with a cancer, like on your heart, and we didn't do anything about it. I remember our our job as fellow, I don't know, I guess RAs or nurses, like if you're a brother or sister in the church right now, you're technically a nurse. And when someone comes into the church and they're hurting, our job is to help heal the process. And sometimes the loving thing to do is let somebody leave or even kick somebody out. Can I tell, I'm going to tell you this little story. I didn't, I didn't script it or anything, so it may not sound as polished. <clears throat> but uh, when my dad passed away in May, my mom went into like shock. But my mom has previous drug addiction behaviors. And when she uh, was when she was in the hospital, the first like you know week, she was getting like morphine and like all kinds of like drugs. And but eventually, <clears throat> she started asking for more morphine and more drugs, even though she didn't need it. Does that make sense so far? You guys get that right? So it's possible for a patient to take advantage of the system. You get you you are you tracking with me? You seeing where this is going? I will continue. So my mom is trying to take advantage of the system, and she's like pressing the red button, and not enough is coming, so she would act out. Oh, I'm in so much pain. It hurts so bad. Um, she's like, oh, and the nurse would be like, all right, scale of 1 to 10, how much pain are you in? Oh, 12. 12 or 20. 20. <laughs> I couldn't decide at the moment what to say. 12. 12. And then they would give her more morphine and more morphine until like she, ma- she was constantly maxing out on her dosage. And so eventually, they got wind of it, and they realized this lady is fine. Like, she doesn't need to be at a hospital. She needs to be at home. Or she needs to be at a drug rehab facility. But she does not need to be at a hospital. And so the loving thing that that hospital had to do was kick her out. They kicked my mom out of a hospital. But they did send her to a drug rehab facility until she can even out. So if the church is like a hospital, I want you to know that if you see something in one of our leaders that is inconsistent with loving one another, you can do the loving thing and let us know. Let that person know first. Because it's not loving to leave somebody in their addiction. It's not loving to leave somebody with a cancer. 
And that's the best way I can explain this passage. Paul's not asking you to spank your neighbor's kids and hold them to a, a, a morality that, that they didn't sign up for. In fact, if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, you're probably saying, amen, finally get these Christians off my back, right? Because they, they have no reason, no business being all up in your business. We got enough we got to police ourselves. We have enough crap to deal with our, on ourselves. We can, I don't know if I can say crap. I said it twice. Dang. Um, <laughs> verse 12. Talk about business. It says, Paul says, he concludes this message saying this. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? The answer is none of my business. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it again, and you guys are saying, none of my business, okay? Because <laughs> that's what we do. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you, not th- are you not to judge those inside of the church? Yep. Yes. Yes. God will be in charge of judging people on the outside of the church. All right, don't play God. You are, you got enough problems of your own. Your job is to judge your own business. God will judge the business on the outside. How many of you know that sin always has consequences? And the Bible says the, wa- the wages of sin is death, which means sin has consequences. And sometimes you just let people live with the consequences of their sin, and that's okay. God's in charge of them. You're not. Even if they don't believe in God, God's still in charge. But that's okay. You don't have to impose what you believe on them. But the most attractive thing, the most attractive thing that you can do to somebody who does not follow Jesus is draw them in with radical love. Radical love. That's why we constantly say, this is a place where you can belong before you believe. And ultimately, Paul wants to tell us this one thing, all right? So my last statement of the night, all right? So I really try to do my best to come up with a phrase that sums all of this up so that you will remember forever, okay? And I've been repeating myself in really different ways, and that's really what the Bible does, is it has a central truth, and it just repeats itself in multiple ways. But there's one statement that I want you guys to walk away with that will, like, really hit home. Okay, and it's corny and it's cheesy and it's like super churchy, like old school churchy style. And I don't know if if anybody in here has like grown up in like a Pentecostal or charismatic where like, you know, the guys or girls, they, you know, they, they, the people in the audience, they, you know, talk to the pastor when he's preaching. And so what I want the guys to do or girls to do, you know, maybe you grew up in a church that says amen or preach pastor or, you know, one time I heard a... <laughs> I heard a, a, a guy went to a revival, and the preacher was preaching so, like, you know, vehemently. And a kid stood up and said, let the wild hog eat. And I'm like, what? Let the wild That is the weirdest. That, that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. So just don't cuss at me because that's even weirder. So when I say this statement, I want to hear, I want you to say your, your, your best Amen, preach it, brother, or mm-hmm, like whatever you do. Okay. Are you ready? Say yeah. Okay. 
Paul is trying to tell us, judge the... (laughs) Come on. Here it is. Paul's trying to tell us, judge the believing and not the heathen. Mm. There it is. Paul wants us to know to judge the believing and not the heathen, okay? <laughs> uh-uh. Uh-uh. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Well, so that's really important. You can write that down. It's really important that you know it. And, and at the end of the day, what I want you to know that Soma's a place where insiders, the bank can come up, uh, where insiders can feel like outside, or where outsiders can feel like insiders. I lost you. I lost you guys. This is a place where outsiders can feel like insiders. And insiders will be described by the way we love one another. How about we do a good job of policing ourselves instead of policing outsiders? And can you imagine what life would look like if the church never abandoned love as its, as its primary source of influence? What would it look like if the church never abandoned love as its primary source of influence? What would your family look like? What would your schools look like? What would Soma look like if our primary source of influence was love? Love.